2: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 104 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. Before we get to this week's guest, Jeremy Popoff from Lit, I want to remind you that Facebook's parent company, Meta, has announced that they are going to be discontinuing podcast integration on Facebook. What does that mean for you? Well, if you're used to listening to the Mistress Carrie podcast episodes when they propagate on your Facebook timeline because you like the Mistress Carrie Facebook page, that is going to go away. And they haven't announced exactly when. So if you like listening to the Mistress Carrie podcast, make sure you follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast wherever else you'd like to listen to it. That includes Apple, Google, iHeart, Odyssey, Spotify, Pandora, and so many more. Just search for the Mistress Carrie podcast. And you can always find all of the episodes at MistressCarrie.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Boldfoot Socks. Boldfoot Socks is proud to source their materials and to manufacture their products right in the United States. Boldfoot Socks is family and veteran-owned, and they donate 5% of their profits to U.S. military and veterans in need. You can find Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. While you're there, you can join the Sock of the Month Club. You can shop for dressy or casual socks. You can check out their patterns in argyle, chevron, digital camo, patriotic socks, stripes, unique socks. There's gift packs, polka dots, premium solids, compression socks, athletic socks, and so much more. And you even get a free three months of sock insurance. So if your socks rip, tear or develop holes, they're going to replace them with no questions asked. Yes, they've got women's socks and they've got extra large sizes in socks as well for people with um, <clears throat> big feet. Find Boldfoot Socks online at boldfoot.com. This week's guest is Jeremy Popoff from the band Lit, who are getting ready to release their new album, Taste Like Gold, coming up on June 17th. They're also getting ready to wrap up their spring-loaded tour at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut on June 4th. Jeremy and I sat down to talk about a lot of stuff. Obviously, their biggest hit, My Own Worst Enemy. We talked songwriting, COVID, podcasts, inspiration. We talked radio. We talked about his love and my hatred for the game of golf. We talked heavy metal, Rupert Neve, vinyl, Bluetooth, Radio Shack, and so much more. Jeremy was so fun to get to know, and I loved having him on the show. So allow me to introduce you to Jeremy Popoff from Lit.
1: And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi,
0: everybody. This is Dave Grohl from Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band
1: Disturb, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis
0: Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour. And you're listening to you have the privilege of listening to mr scary oh god oh yeah
2: hello jeremy how are you thanks for joining me today what's going on
0: my pleasure what's well, a beautiful day here in nashville tennessee and i am uh a little bit of iPhone hell, but other than that, I think, we're, I think it's going to be a good day. <laughs> um, I always ask,
2: I am fantastic, thank you for asking. I always ask people where they are, because touring bands, half the time they don't know. Um, you are in a city that has come up so many times on the show over the last couple of years. Is literally every band in Nashville now, is that is that where everybody has to be?
0: <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, it, it kind of, it started out as just a place that, that creative people felt you know inspired and welcomed in and then it just became logistically like it made so much more sense as a touring band i mean i think bands are are getting hip to the idea of like you know there's no state income tax and it's like two hours from every other state and it's just super easy to get in and out of and um yeah so i mean i i think i think a lot of bands are here. It's, it's crazy. I started coming here about 17 years ago to, to write songs. And, you know, it was predominantly a country music market. And now it's like, it's just everybody's here. Uh, L.A. and New York left and came here.
2: <laughs> well, growing up outside of Boston like I did, if you said Nashville, I just thought cowboy boots, cowboy hats, that that's all it was until I visited. And I was like, oh, wait, this whole city's just built on live music. This is crazy.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's, it is, it's crazy. And it's all over the place too. I live out in Franklin, about 30 minutes South of Nashville. And even here, like, you know, I was at a place last night and there was an open mic night and a line of like 25 aspiring singers, you know, waiting to get up to sing a song. And it just, it's everywhere. It's just a music town.
2: I talked to a lot of artists about their songwriting style and The idea of how songwriting kind of works in Nashville, because I'm not a musician. I'm not a songwriter. I I don't have the ability. Are you able to kind of take a lunch date with a stranger and try and write a song the way they do in Nashville? Can you do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what I fell in love with about Nashville, you know, many years ago. It it, it was a completely new experience for, for me. You know, we went from you know jamming in a warehouse and a, a case of natural light beer and <laughs> and you know just jamming and building off of riffs and stuff to literally um you know getting together at noon with a couple of strangers and you know and leaving with a song that that process really kind of blew my mind and um and it really changed the way we we write you know because at some point like you go from that warehouse and that case of beer and that like that innocent time where that's all you had. That's all the the whole world revolved around that, you know, and then you have some success and then you've got four guys now that have four houses and have, you know, significant others and dogs and kids and this and that. And, and the getting together part becomes more of like, you got to schedule that stuff, you know? So the discipline I think that we learned in Nashville, you know, Um, lended itself to how we ended up needing to, to, to do it, you know, years later when everybody has so many different things going on, you kind of, you set an appointment, you get together, you, 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 you know why you're getting together and you, and you have that purpose. And it's kind of cool.
2: They say you your whole life to write your first record. Right. And then, you know, then it's a little more difficult
0: yeah, I mean, there's just more moving parts, you know. As you get and, and I think that's it's that way with anything, really. I mean, it's just you're getting older and your your life is happening and and in and, and, and you're growing as a person and you're and so yeah, you, you kind of have to you have to find that new way of of getting it done. But um, um, I love that process. I still to this day, you know, thousands of songs later, you know, I still am blown away by the process of walking into a room with nothing. And then walking, you know, walking out with a song that could potentially be in somebody's wedding or in somebody at somebody's funeral or at somebody's backyard party with all their friends. It's like and it didn't exist three hours ago. And that that is just something that blows my mind still to this day, you know.
2: I'm fascinated by the process because, again, I I can't do it. So, tell me what your process is. Do you start with a riff? Do you start with a a melody idea? Do you have a book of lyrics that you wake up at three o'clock in the morning with an idea and jot down on the bedside table? How does it How does it start for you?
0: It's it's literally all of those things, and and I don't um, I just sort of embrace it however it comes. So sometimes it's a riff, sometimes it's a. Li- most often probably these days is it starts it'll start with like a melody and a and, a, and an idea like a title or a or a, or a lyric or something you know so, so being around songwriters is is you know we're always listening and we're always jotting stuff down so you know just in conversations or you know things that people do or say whatever we're we're constantly looking for for something that you know that that. Like, ooh, that has a ring to it, you know. And then so my notes and my and my iPhone, you know, is just full of random crap that people say or that I, you know, that I hear that I'll and then I'll or I'll hear a a line and then I'll I'll twist it, you know, and 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 write it down a different way. But it it just there's really no no set formula, you know, it's how however it comes, we'll we'll take it, you know.
2: Um, when it comes to songwriting things got a lot more complicated for bands that had that collaborative process in the garage, like you were talking about that, you know, COVID and, and having band members in different States or different countries where you couldn't physically get together. Um, were you able to write remote? Is that how this new lit record was written or were you guys actually able to get together and do it in person?
0: We did most of it in person and we, we did, um, we did a couple of zoom rights and we hated it, but we actually got, we got a couple of great songs. There's a song called, um, life that I got that we wrote with, uh, American authors guys. And one of the guys was in Nashville and the other guy was in LA. And then AJ and I were in Nashville and are in, our, in, in our houses. Um, and it was, so it's four different, four dudes in four different locations, but, it was, it it came out awesome. And, and, and that was one of the rare, that was one of the times we were like, okay, this, we can do this in a way. It opened up opportunities. Like we, you know, AJ and I wrote a song with Phil Collin from Def Leppard and he was in California. We were in Nashville. That was an opportunity that probably wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for zoom. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it feels kind of like wearing two condoms. I mean, it's like, it, it doesn't, there's no vibe. There's no. Uh, there's no connection really. I know something dile-
2: cool's happening. I just can't feel it.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we we um, luckily the majority of the record we wrote with um, Carlo and Eric who who co-produced the record with us and and it probably the main reason is because so many dudes were so hell bent on Zoom writing and we were like man that's just that sucks and so. We were able to just like get together in my backyard or AJ's backyard, and there were a couple times where you know Carlo had issues with you know he hit, unfortunately it was you know really sad, but and he lost his dad to COVID, and he was a little bit more he was never weird and freaked out, but you know he'd wear a mask while we were riding, and we were cool with that, and we would all kind of you know especially in the beginning of the pandemic when no one really knew what was up, um, you know we would all hang out in the backyard and we would all be you know a few feet from each other and kind of just trying to be respectful, but the 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 idea that we were able to find th- th- those dudes and that they were willing to do the in person thing during a time when people were so freaked out by it. Um and I think that's that's really probably why they ended up being well, other than the fact that they're awesome, but <laughs> but it but they you know, it we just we found something that was working and we just and we just kept running with it and then and and then we had an album. So
2: you're you're one in a a pretty prestigious list of bands that has a a set of brothers in the band. So when you sit down to write songs, usually you bring your personal experience as a songwriter to the table, but you share so much of your personal experience with a sibling Um, do you and AJ kind of have almost that twin language where you come up with ideas at the same time, or even though you're brothers and kind of grew up together, you have completely different perspectives on things. How does that work with you guys?
0: Uh, I think it's maybe a little, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, we, we definitely, we don't really have that twin thing. We, we, he, he and I are like pretty, pretty different when it comes to like the way we think and look at stuff and, 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 um, but yeah, we definitely, you know, 40, 40 years of, 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 you know, making up things together. We kind of have a, an unspoken language, I guess. I talked to the there, guys but. from
2: Biffy Clyro recently, and they're not just brothers. They are twins and, and they, that happens with them, that they come up with the same idea at the same time. So I was just curious if, you know, it, it works with, with all brothers, is it only twins? Like I'm fascinated <laughs> by it, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny too. When I, I think just creative people in general, like I mean, we're not like writing, um you know, classical music with like it, all these crazy. I mean, it, it's pretty much it's three chords and the truth. And 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 so a lot of times when we're in the room writing something, two or three guys at the same time will 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 shout out the same word or the same par. What about this? Oh yeah. I was going to say that. Cause it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I always, I always kind of feel like we're not to sound hokey or whatever, but I don't claim to know how to write songs. I just, I just do, I do it, but I feel like, um, I, it's kind of like a medium or a psychic or somebody that like has the ability to channel other things. And, and they're just a tool for that for that thing and i kind of just feel like when it comes to songwriting we're all just i mean we're lucky that we are somehow able to be like the lightning rod and then we kind of look up into the sky and hope that that lightning strikes you know and and but we don't claim to like know how to how to harness it you know we just wait for it to happen and then we get to kind of channel it if that makes sense.
2: Leslie Mandoki um, on told me the same thing on the show, that he just feels like the conduit, that the songs already exist. They just need someone to bring them to reality.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I, I really believe that. And, and and I think that also is the thing that keeps us going back for more. It's like, it's kind of like golf, you know? It's You suck for 17 holes, but then you hit that one drive and you're like, and it keeps you coming back. And
2: See, I, think- I don't understand that. Are you a golfer? <laughs> i don't well, I like, understand the draw or the love of golf at all
0: well i like to drink and i like to drive electric <laughs> vehicles and so
2: see that i would totally do i just don't understand you know the the people oh when you hit the perfect shot you feel it in your loins it's like i don't want to feel golf in my loins i don't get it
0: <laughs> well yeah it's uh i love i i love the whole day of playing golf i love the the all the aspects of it and actually hitting the shot is the most nerve wracking part the rest of it's really enjoyable
2: (laughs) see i'm a skydiver and most people don't understand why the hell i would want to do that so i guess everybody's got their thing
0: yeah my my doctor told me about a year ago he told me that um you know he did all my blood work and he got he put me on this thing and that thing and he's like look we're gonna get all this stuff squared away and he's like I mean, uh, you know, you'll live to be 100. Just don't jump out of perfectly good airplanes and don't do dumb shit. and You'll be fine. And I <laughs>
2: they crash all the time. They're not perfectly good. That's a myth.
0: <laughs>
2: um, can I ask you this songwriting question? Because the answers are always fascinating. From This is a question that comes from a craft perspective. So, So not a music fan, but as a songwriter. Can you give me an example or two of a song that you think is so well crafted that it's a perfect example of songwriting? Something that you're just like, shit, man! I wish I wrote that song. And it doesn't matter the artist, it doesn't matter the genre. It's it's about the actual construction of the song. But then tell me why.
0: Um, there there are many songs that do that for me that where I, I listen to them and I'm just blown away by sometimes it's i'm blown away by just the simplicity of it and like um and then sometimes it's just the craft of it like i I, my probably my favorite band of all time is the eagles and um like the song new kid in town is one of those songs that when i hear it i'm like i can't wrap my head around how fucking good it is and how it keeps building and then when they could have been done and they could have ended the song, they, then they modulate and then they modulate again and then they go into this crazy second bridge and then they go into this other hook. And it's like, it's like, guys, what are you trying to prove over here? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those songs that every time I hear it, I'm just like, well, I have to just kind of stop and listen and go, wow, what the hell were they thinking right there? Um, and then there's just other songs too, where, just to, where just sim- simplicity wins, you know, um, um, trying to think of an, uh, of an example of that. Like there's a, a songwriter, um, David Lee Murphy who, he is a Nashville songwriter and he's written some of my favorite songs in it. And they're all just so simple that it's like, you, you know, he wrote, um, a couple of Blackberry smoke songs with those guys. I, I could feel a good one coming on. And, um, ain't much left of me. And um, and he had a Jake Owen song um, that um, I'll go anywhere with you, you know, like and and when you listen to it, like it's, it's just perfect. It's like, wow. All right, cool. (laughs) The
2: concept Um, of simplicity comes up a lot when I ask that question, that it's so simple. Anyone could have written it, but they didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, we also tend to overthink it a lot too. You know, we, we sometimes feel like we have to we have to beat the last one right and sometimes that's you know you're setting yourself up for failure because you're constantly trying to outdo yourself and sometimes you don't really need to do that you just need to write something cool that feels good that you know well uh, i would think that pressure
2: would be there for a band like lit you've got a song my own worst enemy that that will literally live on forever it's everywhere it's been covered so many times and I would imagine when you're a band and you have a song that becomes so successful that while it's a huge blessing, it can also kind of be a little bit of a curse because it casts this shadow that you you have to kind of get out from behind, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's it's the crazy thing about my worst enemy too is um is it kind of goes against all the rules of songwriting. It it you know nothing rhymes, there's there's no there's no bridge there's really no pre-chorus it's just kind of verse chorus first chorus and a riff and you know it's two and a half minutes long and, and done <clears throat> and it's you know we used to write aj and i would would put in um we would come up with a song we would kind of jam and we would you know come up with the gist of it and then we would record it on a ghetto blaster on a cassette tape and then we would oh kind of God, move on i to haven't that. heard
2: somebody say ghetto blaster in so long <laughs> <laughs>
0: And we would kind of, then we'd move on to the next one. And we would, you know, and there were times where we would play these songs in our set without, and they weren't even finished yet. We would kind of just make words up as we went. We would just do it to sort of see what kind of reaction we would get from the, from the crowd. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think we probably meant to go back in and rewrite those words. Um, we just never had a chance because it like took off, it, it, it sort of took on this life of its own and, It was like, we wrote it, then we got a record deal, then we were on the radio, then we were on tour. And we never had a chance to go back and sort of like fix the words, I guess. If it's
2: imperfect, it's perfectly imperfect then.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of crazy that that song of all the songs, you know, we laugh about it today because we're like, I don't don't know if we could write that song again today, because we know too much.
2: Interesting
0: like we we're, we are our own worst enemies in that in that sense because we wrote that out of pure, just we didn't know any better. And now, you know hundreds and hundreds of songs later, like we think we know better, but I don't necessarily know that that's the case. you know We just we just probably have too much useless information that we let get in our way. It's
2: been covered so many times. Is there an artist that you think did it best that rivals obviously your original version? It's hard to do. It's hard to top the original. It's it, there have been a couple artists I've that have come some, close, but
0: there is actually a version coming out. I man, it might be coming out like any day now. Um, there's a um, it, it's a very it, they took it and completely like deconstructed it, and um, um, I've heard it done. It, it you know it's always it's always like an honor and and it's very flattering anytime anybody does it. But like, I don't really need to hear a band do it the way we do it. You know, I don't need to hear just like pop punk one-on-one cover band covering it. I like when I, when I hear somebody completely take it in another direction or, you know, I've heard, um, you know, a girl singer sing it and and do it like in a really sad way. And you're like, Ooh, that's, that's neat. I never, I never would have thought of it that way. Um, but it's great, you know, it's so crazy. I mean, post Malone, you know, cover, he did it on his, on his Instagram. Um, and you know, I've heard like there's all these country guys that do it and, um, pop Kelly Clarkson did it, you know, and she killed it. And it's, it's just, it's just wild. You know, it's just a, a wild thing that, that, that it reached that many people and that that many people were, you know, inspired to like, put their own twist on it you know it's crazy tell me about the podcast the idea uh, with the podcast was more about the song and the question of why this song and um we ended up just sort of being part of the discussion as opposed to the the focus of it and that was fun because we didn't actually know who was who else was being interviewed for that we got interviewed uh, you know one day and then You know, three months later, four months later, we heard it. I mean, we heard the podcast like everybody else did, and we didn't know like all the people that they had reached out to, and and all the people that, and there were a lot of people on there that we don't even know. That just and and hearing them talk about it, it's it it was uh, it was neat. It was, uh, but it was a trip too. It's kind of like third third person, you know. (laughs) Like it was, it's weird. Somebody that you don't know talking about you. And 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 like analyzing you is a is a trip. It's like being alone. Uh, it's
2: like being alive at your own funeral. It's like this is what yeah, they say it, when it, I'm not listening.
0: Yeah, totally. It was it was it was a little bit like that. But um I loved how how it you know inevitably was about lit, right? And it was about this song, but it was more about just kind of like people talking about a, a snapshot in time and why something, you know. And still, the funny thing is, after four episodes, we still don't know why. (laughs) We talked to experts. There was like, you know, scientists and psychologists and, you know, program directors and industry veterans. And still at the end of the at the end of the four episodes, no one really knows the reason. Um, So I guess it's sort of an open ended question. Like still, why? (laughs) Why that song? Why is it still, you know? 23 years later, still as as big as it was 23 years ago, um, it's it's baffling, you know?
2: When I talk to guitar players, there is always these questions about um, tone and trying to find a tone that expresses what you're trying to say through the guitar. Um, Where do you think your tone comes from? What do you attribute guitar tone to?
0: Heavy metal. I my tone was not in style in the '90s. Um, I had a very '80s heavy metal guitar tone in a time where most bands were using like fuzz boxes and and like really weird sounding. I my my tone was very much like modeled after you know, um, I mean Iron Maiden and Dokken and like George Lynch and and. Um, Marshall, just old school Marshall JMP and JCM 800s. And, and, um, you know, I would, when I would test my amp, you know, I would, I would just let go of the strings and if it, and if it feed, I got feedback, then I was cool. And, um, I can remember like in the, in the mid to late nineties record companies when, you know, passing on us constantly, And 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 it came up from time to time that they thought our sound was like kind of dated sounding. The the tones were you know very, very heavy metal you know and um and then you know ten years later guys are going dude where'd you get that how do you get that tone it's like well it's like literally um it's as it's it's as simple as a Marshall amp and a Boss overdrive pedal and a you know a Fender Telecaster I mean it's it's like the you know, Remington eight seventy shotgun is like the is like the standard, and so is a Marshall and a Les Paul, and it's like that's it. It's just uh, it's just loud and and distorted.
2: <laughs> it is amazing that that music and that sound from the eighties, how how loved it was, and then how quickly overnight. You know, I talked to D. Snyder about it. That he's like, we got a telegram one day that said nobody wants what you do anymore, and it was over and So I can see how in the era when the band was coming up, that being a fan of '80s music then was not cool at all. It's all come back full circle now, but in that time, it wasn't at all.
0: Yeah. Well, and luckily for us, we we we've always proudly waved the '80s flag. You know, even. I mean, you can see it in our videos and you can see it in our shows and you see that you know, we've always it's one of the reasons I think why, I mean, D Snyder, he's a I love the guy to death. He's one of the nicest guys uh, on the planet. And he, you know, and he's a fan of our band and we're a fan of his band. And we I think I think a lot of those guys respected the fact that here comes this band in the late 90s early 2000s that are proudly waving that flag and, 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 and kind of, you know, taking the torch and still representing that, that vibe, but like doing it in this newer way. I mean, it's hard to explain, but we've, we've become friends with so many of those bands from the eighties. And I think it's because they, they, they like what we do, but we, we grew up liking what they do, you know, and there's like this mutual respect and, um, but um... Well, and
2: it's fun, right? And so, you know, as we come out of COVID, there's, there's a certain amount of people that have been affected by COVID in a way that they're channeling this angst and sadness. And then the other side of the coin, and I think we need both, that there are the people that just have been yearning to go to a concert and want to have a good time and want to be happy and have fun. And that's what all that 80s music was. It was fun. It was a party.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I personally am not a big fan of, I mean, it is, you know, I've, we've gone through pretty crazy stuff in our lives and I've gone through stuff and, you know, if I'm going, if I'm nursing a broken heart, you know, I'll dive into a, you know, a Don Hanley record and, (laughs) and kind of what would Don do? What would Don do? Um, you know, or I'll listen to, a you know, a, a, a Willie Nelson or, you know, just anything that like you, you, when you're in a, when you're in a dark place, it, sometimes you want to, you know, tap into somebody else that's in a dark place. and Yeah. Uh, you want to feel and, like and, you're and, not
2: alone. That's what's <clears throat> great about that music.
0: But I feel also, you know, that it's important to also have an escape from that as well. And I feel like with our band, we've always tried to be that, like we we, we have songs that we, we will touch. We'll, we'll go, we'll go deep here and there, but ultimately we used to say like, we're not a headphones band. You know, we're a, we're a boom box in the backyard band. When you're drinking beers with your friends, like that's we're, we're that soundtrack. We're not, you know, we're not rush twenty one twelve where you're going <laughs> to smoke, you know, smoke a joint, put headphones on and just like go, Whoa, I just heard it from the left side to the right side. <laughs> um, but, um, but I, yeah, I think, I mean, God, what a, what a cool thing that we have music that can do both, you know, that can, that can make you cry and make, you know, you're in a dark place and it could make it darker because you're relating to somebody else's dark place or it, it, it you can turn on a song and it completely just transports you to a better time or a better place. And, um, it's it's pretty, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty, it, 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 and what's really cool too, is when you, when you go to a different country and you see it, you see it react the same way, you know, or a guy, you know, I, I'll never forget the first time we were in, in Japan and a guy was, you know, this, you know, little short Japanese guys, t- you know, coming up to me and going go in very hard to understand broken English telling me that this that my worst enemy is a story of his life and i was just like holy shit are you kidding me well that's what's great you know, about but- rock
2: and roll is that it 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 crosses every boundary gender race socioeconomic it, it really is an example for the world on you know kind of welcoming everybody to the party
0: yeah well it, i mean it really you know we We live, I feel like right now, the world is more divided than it's ever been since I've been alive. And it's kind of sad that somebody doesn't just come out and go, hey, you know what, dudes? Like, we all, we have way more in common than we don't. And we don't have to be all the way one way or all the way the other way. Like, look at all the shit that we have in common. And music is really... The, the glue and the, and the sort of the, the safe zone, if you will, you know, it's like, that's where we can all agree on one, on one thing. And I just think just need more of that, you know?
2: Well, now that you're getting ready to go on the road, you're going to be able for the first time in three years to experience that all over again. Every band that I know that's been able to play shows, you know, coming out of the backside of, of, you know, the lockdown is that they're feeling this vibe that they haven't felt from crowds in years that, that people just want to be at shows together, experiencing the music together you got to be psyched
0: for it. We you know we were kind of one of those bands that never really I mean th- the shows were pretty sparse and few uh, f- you know they were during the during the like the, the the lockdown, when it was really bad. I mean, we still managed to get out and do a couple things. And, we, and of course, you couldn't announce it or promote it because you'd get all kinds of backlash, whatever. But we just, we, you know, we, we, we used the downtime to, to make a, a record that we think came out awesome. And, and I'm glad we were able to do that. But, um, I, <clears throat> we did one live stream show and I hated it. I, I'm, you know, the, the, the two condom thing. Um, would apply to that too. Like live stream just sucks. And I got so sick of seeing videos of people, you know, with split screens and zooms and it's just like, Oh, this, this, this new world sucks. Yeah. And, um, to get back out and to be able to just hug people and, and shake hands with people and just be sweaty with people and talk. And, and, and that's like, that's why we do this. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fucking, be on a computer screen or like, you know, have somebody in their jam jams watching our show. Like, fuck that. I mean, you need to like, you need to like have a couple of drinks and like get in the crowd and be like with people. And it's a, it's an experience, you know, that's why we, that's why we got into this in the first place. And, um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I can't wait for it. It's still a little weird, you know, certain places you go, um, are weird. And and some aren't, and it's just it, it's going to take a while. Um, I think some people, unfortunately, got really used to and comfortable with living in their jams and and living on their computer, and I, I think that's sad. But um, it's going to take it's going to take a while for it to shake out. I think you know. And then on top of that, so many shows have been postponed or canceled that um, it's affecting it's affecting touring in the sense that um i mean a perfect example is like you know garth brooks played nissan stadium here in nashville last month and the day of the show you could still get a seat on the field you know 30 rows back from garth for a hundred bucks and in any other time that what that show would have been sold out for for months you know and i think it's just this 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 feeling of like, well, I'm not going to buy a ticket. I'm not buying a ticket to that show until I see the damn tour bus pull up because anything can happen. And, and which throws off the whole, like, you know, promoters are, are freaking out. Cause they're like, you know, there's not a lot of tickets sold at this one show and all, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. And everyone is, is, is just trying to like relearn it and refigure it out. You know? It's, well, you better um, show
2: up at Mohegan sun. Because that's the last day to the leg, and I'm going to be at that one. So awesome. June 4th, it at Mohegan Sun. You better be there.
0: I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny. I love Mohegan Sun. It's such a beautiful um, casino and property, and the and the shows. It's such a blast to play there. Whenever we get to play places like that, we wind up like giving back all the money we made just <laughs> right back to the right back to the casino, at the blackjack table, but. But yeah, we love we love Mohegan Sun.
2: It's got to be exciting to be able to go on tour right before you release the record, too. So I'm assuming getting to try out these songs in front of a crowd for the first time. You got to be psyched about that, too.
0: Yeah, we it's every everyone always says that their new record is their best record and all that stuff. So I won't I won't bore you with that. But I will say that um, we have been playing mouth shut and kicked off the plane and do it again and um we've been playing these songs lately and it really truly feels the reaction we're getting from the crowd is very reminiscent of when we first came out with a place in the sun um you know there's some songs that you write and you love and you record them and they sound great on a record and you you play them live and for whatever reason they just don't translate live and we've had some of those over the years and and you and, and then there's some that you just don't expect and then they just really translate and, and people just react to it. Um, but this new record, it feels like it, it feels like the right time, the right place. And it feels like, um, we're can, these songs are connecting with people, um, in just a really cool way. So we're super, super pumped and, and, and really pumped to, um, get the whole thing out there, you know, so then we can, Uh, you know it's obviously it's cool to test stuff out before it comes out but it's a lot more fun to play stuff you know a few months after it's been out and everyone knows the words you know
2: I tell all the bands that I talk to that coming out of COVID and living digitally and kind of being isolated that you guys finally got a chance to experience what it's like to be a radio DJ (laughs) (laughs) because we've been locked away in padded rooms talking to ourselves for years now and you guys finally get a taste of it and every musician I know fucking hates it
0: it's funny cuz we grew up, you know, uh, AJ and I, our dad was a radio DJ our, our, our whole life and um, so we grew up in that we grew up in radio stations. When our parents were divorced when we were little, our dad would just like take us to work with them cuz you know, it was it was free. It was cheaper than a babysitter and we loved it. We would answer request lines and you know, make fake commercials in the production room and um, and so when we started, you know, touring and and visiting radio, you know, um, DJs and program directors were always look, will kind of look at us and have to do like a double take, like, "What these guys act like they just walked into their freaking living room or something." You know, we'd be like, "Where's the kitchen? Where's the coffee?" This is <laughs> like, it. We just, it, we were, we've always just been at home in that in that environment because we grew up in it. But um,
2: it is funny because you know, it, it's like looking behind the curtain at the great and powerful Oz. It's not as impressive as the show, you know. <laughs> I will tell you that being able to build my own studio and work in my own studio now, um, it's a lot cleaner than any other studio I've ever worked in. And you could probably attest to that hanging out at your dad's studio that usually radio stations are gross.
0: <laughs> that, uh, you know, that is one cool thing I will say that, that I, cause I have friends that are on TV and stuff that are on the news or the here or there. And these, the, the technology now and the ability to be, to, to, to do radio from your, I mean, We started. I remember, like K Rock in L.A. The the Kevin and Bean was the morning show, and at one point, um, one of them moved up to like one of the islands and off of uh, like in Washington. I don't, I don't even know what the hell it's called. Something Sound.
2: Um, Oh, the Puget Sound.
0: I think so. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And and he was literally doing the morning show in L.A. and he was like literally on an island off a (laughs) while, and and but like now it's. You know, you, if you flip on the news and you see all these talking heads and they've got these backgrounds behind them and all that, that they're literally in the spare bedroom of their house.
2: Yeah. Technology Which has kinda... made that a, a little bit cooler. Like, I love being able to control and decorate my studio. And if I leave my frigging favorite pen, it's going to be there tomorrow. Nobody's stealing my <laughs> cell phone charger. It is nice to have your own workspace, no matter yeah. what it is that you do.
0: Speaking of, we were talking about D. Snyder earlier. I remember even like 99, 2000, he had a, he had a uh, morning radio show and he had a studio at his house. And um, so he was never able to come. He would always, anytime we came through town, he would come and pick us up from soundcheck and take us out to lunch. But then he would drop us off before the show and he would never come to the show. Cause he had to be in bed by like seven o'clock <laughs> to go walk downstairs to the uh, studio. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's the same way with us. I mean, we make records that way now too. You know, we're, if I, if I hear a guitar part that I want to redo, I just I re- do it right here at the house. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, it is. Technology is, you know, it's it's made some things more impersonal, but it definitely has made it a little bit easier to, for you to have access to be able to do what you love more quickly and more comfortably if you've got access to your own studio and your own creative space.
0: Yeah, it. it you know, th- back in the day, you would spend you know, bands would spend three, $400,000 making a record. And you would like live in an apartment down the road and you, you would just be at this expensive studio every single day for, you know, two months and you had runners and menus and, you know, food budgets and silly, silly stuff. And like, and, 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 you know, videos too, like you go like, Oh, Hey, we're going to make a video for the song. Sweet. You know, and some guy would charge you you a know, quarter of a million dollars, you know, make some stupid video. And it's like, now that's completely oh, those. I mean, the, those days were fun, and don't get me wrong. I, you know, it's it's fun to like on a whim have a runner go out and just get you a bunch of stuff. But now to be able to like really make a great record and not have all that going on is is pretty awesome. And and you know, people are making videos now for you know thousand dollars on their on their freaking iPhone. You know, so it's kind of it's. I'm glad we got to taste that other thing, but it it does make it does it is a lot easier now to make to do what we need to do, you know.
2: Well, if you're looking to have the location influence the sound, right? You know, like if Zeppelin wanted to go and you know, be in a cottage in Wales because they wanted that kind of isolation. And they, you know, uh, growing up on the East Coast, it took me traveling to the West Coast to understand why your music sounded the way that it did. Not you lit, I mean, just West Coast music in general. Because in the Northeast, we're fucking angry a lot because it's cold and we're miserable and it comes out (laughs) in the music. So when you go to California and you listen to a band like, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Incubus or something, it, or you listen to reggae reggae sounds different in jamaica grunge sounds different in seattle because it 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 has absorbed the essence of the place where it was made so there's still a certain amount of that if a band does want to spend the money and kind of you know absorb the the surroundings a little bit but yeah i mean if you know what if you don't have the budget to be able to go and do
0: that yeah well i think now you like you can go to these places and get inspiration, you know, and and get the vibe, and then you come back and you can you can record it or do it, and you don't have to like go live in some expensive building for <laughs> you know eight weeks, two grand a day or whatever they're charging.
2: Go find an Airbnb somewhere that nobody knows that you know you just recorded a record in their house for a hundred bucks a day or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean there's great stuff I mean you can you can literally you can get on sweetwater or you know even Amazon or whatever you I mean you could get all the tools you need to make an album you know delivered to your house like in two days <laughs> and uh, and it's it's crazy you know you that was another thing back in the day like you you kind of needed to go to these studios because they had the best microphones they had the best board the, the the best gear the the stuff that like you know, you're like, oh my God, we got to, we got to record on that Neve console that, you know, that so-and-so used, you know, Fleetwood Mac did uh, rumors on or whatever. And it's like, you've got, and, but it's like, I don't know, I guess it's sort of like, like a filter, like on your, on your phone, you know, you got all these filters for your photos. We've got things now that, that mimic those, the sound of that board, you know, you can, you can get that plug in now and you can get a microphone for $300. That's, that sounds like a, ten thousand dollar microphone used to it's it's just crazy
2: don't tell Dave Grohl that didn't he buy that Neve board (laughs) that you're talking about
0: he did buy that Neve board yeah yeah. there's a great documentary about that um
2: the sounds not sound city but
0: well it's that there's that one and then there's also I'm pretty sure there's one about about Neve about him about that um and those boards are just insane I mean I know I'm not a I'm not a gear I'm not a real weird gear guy, but there's just something about those boards where it's it's a religious <laughs> experience. There, there you know, is can... a
2: little bit of reality to, you know, I guarantee you, if you recorded the same thing through the real Neve board or the plugin on your iPhone, the real Neve board's still gonna give you a little, I mean, it's like, you know, why vinyl is making a resurgence now because there is something about it that an MP3 or a wave file can't give you.
0: Hundred percent, and and you and I would probably notice and and but the sad reality of the world we live in today is we live in a swipe we live in a swipe left swipe right world. You know, content is like you got to catch you got to get them in twenty seconds or they're on to the next thing. And it's like, and and the sad thing is most people are listening to music on their fucking phone you know on these or in
2: the crap. car or in the car too
0: yeah and it's all yeah. bluetooth and it's all like it's losing every step of the way you know it's it's coming through spotify which already like ruins the sound and then then that's coming through your phone and it's going through and bluetooth and it's coming through this and it's a, by the time you're actually hearing it it's it's just been like beat up and pummeled Squashed to death to yeah <laughs> but um It's just, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It always cracks me
2: up that, you know, you could be renting a multi-million dollar recording studio and that you're still going to go out to the car because you want to listen to it in the car to hear what it really sounds like. I forget who was on my show that told me this story, so I apologize to them for not being able to cite them. But they told me that... That's what Prince used to do at Paisley Park, that he would go outside to listen to the tracks in his car and they would be burned on a CD. And that if he didn't like it, he would huck the CD into the lake next to his house. And so (laughs) if someone got some scuba gear on at the bottom of that lake, there is all of this Prince never released music that he recorded that he didn't end up liking sitting on the bottom of that lake.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty good. Well, we all do car mix tests. I mean, and everyone has their own, you know, you, you're used to whatever speakers you're used to. So yeah. you, you can go in the fanciest room and, and, and it sounds killer, but then you ultimately, you got to go to what you're used to that, to hear the balances of, of the mix and all that. Um, and we're we all actually, dealing
2: with our own hearing loss too. Especially the older you get in this business that, you know, there's certain parts of it you just don't hear anymore.
0: There used to be a um, back when we had Radio Shacks they they used to sell this little speaker. And it was a, and it was a tiny little I don't know. I mean, the, the whole box itself was maybe like six by six little cube and it had like a walnut finish. And it was just this little weird speaker. It was twenty five dollars. And we used to have one. We would bring one in to the studio so we'd be listening we'd be in this like multi-million dollar recording facility that you know all the coolest bands did their shit at and we were listening to these speakers that you know cost more than your house and and then when we were just about ready to like say okay we would like put it through this little tiny 25 dollars radio shack speaker because it mimicked a tv speaker which back then MTV was the big deal. And, you know, ideally you wanted it to sound good coming out of a little TV speaker before everyone had like surround sound and shit. And we would, we would literally mix to that.
2: You know that Radio Shack is back, right? Is it? They brought it back online only, but <laughs> Radio Shack.com is a thing. And they have all of the stuff that you and I grew up being able to go to the store and like <laughs> comb through all the little adapters and wires and gadgets and stuff. Yeah. Hell yeah. Radio Shack is back.
0: Well, that's good. That's, that's awesome. I'm going to <laughs> go on there right after this. And <laughs> <laughs>
2: Jeremy, thank Maybe, you so much for hanging out with me today.
0: My pleasure. Sorry for all the technical crap, but no,
2: it's all good. I'm glad we got to catch up. Congratulations. The new album is, is literally due out in a couple of weeks. I mean, we're, we're waiting.
0: It's coming June 17th. Tastes like gold. And, um, And we will see you at Mohegan Sun.
2: Yeah, you'll see me the last date of this leg of the tour. I'll see you uh, June 4th at Mohegan. But uh, you can go on your website. I have all of the links to all of your sites in the show notes um, so that people can go and get tickets when uh, you're coming near them. So it'll be nice to have you guys back out on the road. Everybody could use a little fun.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're, we're stoked. Looking forward to it.
2: We'll see you later. Thank you so much. All
0: right, darling. Appreciate you.
2: There he is, Jeremy Popoff from the band Lit. Their brand new album, Taste Like Gold, comes out on June 17th. And you can see them wrap up their spring-loaded tour at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut coming up on June 4th. If you want to hear the My Own Worst Enemy podcast we talked about, there's a link in the show notes of this podcast. And while you're there, you can also check out the corresponding playlist for this episode. I put together a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, which is always full of music from my guest and all the other music and songs that we talked about in the interview. You'll also find all of jeremy's social media links all of the band lit social links and well you'll find all the mistress carrie links there too and if you liked what you heard don't forget to follow and subscribe to the mistress carrie podcast new full-length episodes come out every wednesday plus every weekday you get the sit rep the situation report gives you all your rock news music headlines and industry info in less than five minutes Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on the official Mistress Carrie Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. Get more details on that and everything else at MistressCarrie.com. Just in time for summer, you can also get your new Mistress Carrie tank tops. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, where next?
1: At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding your motorcycle with your buddies on the open road. It's a potent cocktail of thrills, laughter, and pure adrenaline. A feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. I'm real proud of you, son. Wow, well, that was terrible. Our apologies for even trying. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.